So tonight's reading is Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 20, which you'll find on page 941 of your Bible. But first I'll just lead us in a prayer before we hear the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help use your word tonight to create in us purer hearts and more steadfast spirits for you, Lord, in your service. Amen. Habakkuk 2, from verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and, like death, is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey, because you have plundered many nations, and the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that tells lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, 
come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord uh, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear you, the Almighty, the Creator. Lord, who has deigned for us to be able to hear your words through the blood of Christ. How precious they must be. And how precious, Lord, we longed you to make them to us. Help us see you uh, tonight. Amen. Amen. Uh, please have a seat there and open your Bibles up on page 941. Uh, we are continuing in Habakkuk, uh, thinking about suffering, uh, which is appropriate because there is lots of it about. Uh, I've had a full-on week. I don't know about you. Um, let's see. Um, I suspect a case of sexual abuse, not in this uh, church family, but in a teenager somewhere else. Um, I've seen marriages sort of on the edge. Uh, I've always got Matt and Naomi. Um, people beyond the end of their tether with uh, the suffering of their kids and uh, their spouses. Uh, people diagnosed with uh, terminal and degenerative diseases, in one case, in the case of a small child, um, just having awful chronic pain, I need a little bit of that myself, uh, or having something terrible that's unbelievably painful. Brian, I've been praying for you wherever you are recently, brother, with the shingles. Uh, there is a lot of suffering around us. That's just in this church family, isn't it? And each one of us will know lots of people who are going through the mill, uh, and we want to know what do we do with that. Uh, actually, it was a funeral of someone who um, I think actually committed suicide, uh, which uh, just this last week, which I think flushed out very great grief for lots of other people as well about similar cases. What do we do in the face of suffering and evil? What do we do with that? We talk about how our faith keeps us going. But it's really hard, isn't it? And what I find actually also difficult is, uh, you know, how do we keep moving towards those who are suffering? Especially if we are suffering ourselves. I don't know about you, but I slightly have a bit of a fear. Uh, have I got what it takes? Am I going to be able to offer anything here? in this broken relationship with parent or um, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and you know, if, I remember actually seeing a chap who had a one night stand. Uh, the person he had it with was pregnant. They had a baby. I was a student at the time. He was a student. He was in his third year of classics. He was coming towards me on the other side with a pram. And honestly, I just didn't know what to say. And so I just crossed over the road. I think that's so often what my heart is like when I encounter suffering and evil in the world. I just want to cross the road. You know, it's bad enough having to deal with my own, but let alone meeting someone head on and trying to do it. So how do we, what do we do to not come, succumb to feelings of despair 
or not succumb to a cynicism and just a giving up, uh, to not just feel defeated by the world and the suffering that does come, because as Christians we are not excluded from suffering. How do we not uh, just become you know, hardened to the suffering of others and just duck away from them? You know, it's often the case when I speak to people who are suffering, they find coming to church hard because they feel just a little bit on their own. You know, maybe it's the fact that they're just not loving being single at the minute. Maybe it's someone's died recently and you just feel like people walk a little bit around you. How can we not be like that when we see suffering coming, like me crossing the road? Well, that's why we want to listen to Habakkuk tonight. First of all, it's the word of the Lord, but also it tells us how to meet evil and suffering with a knowing confidence. How we can meet evil and suffering with a knowing confidence. What's God got to say here? Well, first of all, when it comes to evil and suffering and us crying out to him, he's got an answer for us and he answers with clarity. But also we see that Jesus will end all evil and suffering and it's with that knowledge that we wait for that end patiently and without fear in Christ. That's what we're going to see, those three things. So have a look with me here uh, at verse 2 of chapter 2 on page 941. We read there, Then the Lord replied to Habakkuk, uh, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. What's happened here is Habakkuk has cried out in chapter 1 verses 1 to 4, How long, O Lord, the world and God's people are broken by evil and suffering that they're doing themselves. There is nothing but violence before him in verse 2. And you do not save. There is injustice everywhere. And then the answer comes back uh, from the Lord in a slightly shocking way in uh, verses 5 to 11, which are actually summarized in verse 12. You, Lord, have appointed them, that is the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. So actually there's worse to come. Here comes this weird rescue that God's going to do through judgment. Rather than just sorting out the problem, he's going to come in judgment in order to fix the problem. And it looks way worse bringing this evil people to do it. And that foreshadows God's judgment coming and landing, not on us, but on Jesus, in order to save his people. The strange rescue through judgment, the rescue from evil and suffering, through Jesus suffering that, uh, that terrible judgment, the Babylonians coming here. It's the picture of what Jesus has land on him. Uh, and Habakkuk says, well, I don't know how you can do this. It just seems ridiculous. You know, why do you tolerate this evil uh, from verse 12 uh, down to 2 verse 1? Why do you tolerate evil and suffering in the land, particularly these, uh, in this world? You know, God's people have got to live in the face of these terrible Babylonians and the suffering that comes with it, this evil and suffering twinned. God, why do you tolerate that? Can you see that? That's the question in verse 13. Why then do you tolerate this treacherous? You, what is this about? And the answer in 2 to 20 is, uh, is not forever. It's not forever. 
don't confuse God's delay in coming with the tolerance of treacherous and the wicked who persecute God's people. But most of all, I think what's just most obvious and exciting is that God answers. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. We worship a God who gives us an answer when we ask him these hard questions. A revelation, a revealing, something that is made plain. It is put on tablets, that is, it is official. Something that you can run with. Literally, it means you take it everywhere and tell everyone. Because it's not hidden, but it's good news for everyone to know. To be proclaimed everywhere. And it's rooted in God's word, it's not guesswork. Isn't that marvellous that when it comes to evil, we have a God who has an answer. He is living and loving and he answers. If you're an atheist, you've got nothing. All you can say is suffering and evil is bad luck and we just do what we can. But there's no answer to the how long or the why. Is silence. But we have a God who answers and answers with real hope. That is marvellous. Nor does Buddhism have an answer to this. They just say, actually, your worldly suffering and your body and the evil, that's just, it's an illusion, and you need to achieve a higher plane so that you can escape it. It's rubbish. This is an answer, a God who speaks to us and gives us clarity. That's marvellous. That's why I think God's awesome, why Jesus is wonderful, why the Holy Spirit is so precious. And then what is the answer? What's the form of the answer? The passage is split in two. You get the message and then the response we're supposed to make. The response specifically we're supposed to take up and join in with. The message and what we're supposed to join in with. Here is the message. The message is Jesus is going to end all evil and all suffering. That's the very simple message. And you see it in verse uh, 3 and then the rest of the passage. Look with me what it says there. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of what? The end. It will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. There's a revelation which speaks of the end, which is appointed. It is specific. It is made so by God. If it's something's appointed, someone has appointed it. God has appointed an end, and its arrival, did you see, is certain. It will certainly come, and nothing can delay it. Do you see that? It will not delay. It is inevitable, this end. An end is coming. What kind of end is it? Well, verses 4 to 20 elaborate on it. There are five woes. Did you see that? Look down with me and see where they are. Um, see the enemy is puffed up in verse 4, and then verse 6, woe to him who piles up. Uh, and then you've got verse 9, woe to him who builds his house. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbour. Have I done all five? And 19, woe to him who says would. There is a woe coming for those who are evil and for the suffering that comes from them. Uh, and those who suffer actually are seeing a great reversal where the evil and the suffering is turned on its head and actually those who perpetrate that suffering in their evil experience it that's why there's woe that's what's coming at the end but also verse 13 we see that there's a time 
Verse 13, do you see it says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? So this is a time when a great fire will consume all evil and all the work of evil, their cities, their towns, their homes, their strongholds. It will be consumed by fire. And then we continue building the picture in verse 16. A time when they will have to drink the cup of God's wrath. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Do you see that in verse 16? Now it is your turn, you evil lot. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed, or literally stagger underneath it. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you. There's a strong suggestion all the way through, as you can hear there in the cup in the right hand of God, that God himself will come and that he will judge and condemn all evil and suffering and it will be gone without trace, consumed by fire. All that will remain is what? The knowledge of the glory of God, his perfection, his loveliness and his love. Did you see that in verse 14? At this end time, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, that's the thing about the sea, isn't it? Is nowhere, as you look at the ocean, does it not have sky above it? That's probably what waters mean here, as the waters cover the sea. You have the sea and the waters are kind of like the heavens. And so nowhere when you go to sea do you look up and see nothing. You always see sky, don't you? It would be utterly ridiculous to be going along the sea and then suddenly there's just sort of space above you or something. Or there's a floating mountain. It's utterly absurd. And in the same way, the presence of evil or suffering at this time will be as absurd and as ridiculous and as unthinkable as a mountain hovering above your boat. How wonderful is that? And so what this is speaking of is this end time. What it's pointing towards in the future is the end time when God comes as judge and all evil is swept away. It's Jesus coming, isn't it, as judge. Acts 17.31 says, God commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day, appointed an end, when he will judge the world with justice, where all evil will be condemned. By the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That's Jesus. Why does God tolerate evil and suffering now? Because Jesus is coming and he's bringing this end and he's bringing it soon. The end of evil and suffering. And it is as certain as Jesus' tomb is empty. That's the message. How long? Why, Lord? And the answer is, not forever, but all this is going to be gone. This evil and suffering will be as ridiculous as a mountain hanging above the sea, as unthinkable. And so what are we called to do? Well, that's the second part of the passage, where actually we're given a response that's made. Did you notice that? I wonder if you did. Uh, what does it say? Uh, verse 4, see the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith. Indeed, his wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. 
Uh, and then look what happens. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the peoples. Did you see that? And then look who's talking. Verse 6. Will not all of them? So all the peoples and all the nations of the world are the people who say, verse 6 onwards. So it's like a huge football chorus made up of all the nations and all the peoples of the world. And they're singing to this evil and this suffering. And they're saying, your time is nearly up. And what they're doing is they're waiting. That's what we're being asked to do here. Can you see that in verse 3? We've had the message, which is the end is coming. And then just after it, it says, it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. There's your command. Imperatives always key when you see an order. There it is. Though it linger, wait for that end. Don't give up. In fact, what we're being invited to do as we wait is not just wait with a stiff upper lip, but to join in with the song of all these peoples and nations who are singing at the evil and the suffering. And they're saying, your time is coming. Uh, it sort of slightly reminds me of you know, football terraces when you're slightly behind uh, by three goals, your team scores, the other team goes quiet, and everyone on that terrace is singing, you're not singing anymore. It's that kind of idea. Your time is soon up, evil and suffering. We're being invited to join in with that. Uh, with a knowing confidence, we speak to evil and suffering as we come across it in our hearts. And what are we saying to it? Well, verse 6 to 8, what does it say there? Uh, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods. Why? Because actually your creditors are going to rise up. And they will make you tremble. And uh, though you've plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. That is, uh, the tables are going to be turned on you who steal and extort. And then verses 9 and 11. You, justice is coming for those who build their houses and homes on the life, uh, on, uh, and life on the ruining of others and exploitation of others. Justice is coming for you. Verses 12 to 14. Woe to you, Lot, because the might of the nations and the peoples like Babylon who use bloodshed and injustice to make themselves great will be utterly destroyed by the coming of God's glory. And then verses 15 to 17. What are we singing in the face of evil and suffering? We're saying your violent exploitation of others for your own gratification. That's what it is, isn't it? When you get people drunk uh, in order to look at them for your own yeah, that, that just happens so often, doesn't it? And we're singing to that and we're saying, that is coming to an end and God's terrifying judgment is coming around and then you will be made, you know, shamed and exposed for what you are and your violence and destruction will overwhelm you. What are we saying in verse 18 and 19? Your lifeless, dumb and mute gods will be unable to guide you or save you. Can you see that in verse 18? Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes an idol, he cannot speak. Our God answers and gives us clarity. Your statue can't even speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give you guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. You've got nowhere to hide without God. That's what we're singing to evil and suffering. How will any of these things 
How, how will your God of money in your account, or your fitness, or your comfort, or your approval of other people, or your education, how will any of these things prevent your evil and the suffering you have caused being brought to light and utterly destroyed by the coming of God's glory? It won't. None of these things can do that. Now that's a bit of a shock, isn't it? Because when I get there, that gives me pause and makes me think, do you know what? Some of that's me. I was fine with all of this until that last bit. And now that's a bit of a shock because the chorus that evil and suffering will be destroyed, I soon realised that actually I'm a part of that. The talk about Jesus coming in judgment and utterly burning up all evil and suffering is really great, but actually what about my evil and the suffering that I've caused? That's the elephant in the room, isn't it? And the good news of great joy is in verse 4. The evildoer is swept away, but, what does it say in verse 4? The righteous person will live by his faithfulness, or live by faith. And that's quoted in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because, and then he quotes, the righteous will live by faith. So what he's saying is, if you think you can keep the law and do everything perfectly for God and not do anything evil and not cause any suffering, you are stuffed. But if you trust in the righteousness that you receive by faith, you're away. We aren't righteous. We can't be perfect. We can't live without being evil or causing suffering. We are part of the problem that God needs to sweep away. And if we rely on keeping God's law to survive this end and this judgment that is coming, then without Jesus we are doomed. But with Jesus there is now no condemnation in Christ. If we rely and have his righteousness and his perfect record, that's the glory of God. So you've got the same glory as Jesus the judge. I mean, you can't make that better or improve it. It means that we fit in perfectly when the glory of God arrives and all evil is swept away and his glory covers the world. And so we want to trust in Jesus, receive him and receive his righteousness that saves from this end. Then we can be without fear and we can sing loudly and clearly in evil's face and suffering's face. Your time is up. In Romans 1, 16, 17, Paul says, Look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation or rescue to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for the gospel, uh, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness, righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it written, and then he quotes this thing, the righteous will live by faith. So again, he's saying the righteousness that we live by, that we survive this end by, turns out not to be ours, but his, but Jesus's. And when we put faith in him, we receive that, and we need not fear this, this end, but sing boldly in the face of evil and suffering. Your time is coming. So we wait for this terrifying end for those who are not righteous. But we are not afraid because in Christ we are perfect. We are part of the glory of God already. And we're not on our own. We join in with all God's people and all the nations and the peoples across the globe who trust in Jesus today in singing with knowing confidence in the face of evil and suffering, you're not singing anymore. Your time is coming. While we wait patiently for the end Christ will bring, though it lingers, 
So, wait for the end of evil and suffering patiently and without fear in Christ. It's not that in the face of suffering and evil, we fall into despair and fear because we know it's going to end. It's not that we fall into cynicism and defeat because we know that this suffering and this evil will be defeated. But instead, with a knowing confidence, we still endure it because it's hard, but with a knowing confidence, we can look it in the eye and say, your time is coming. What's that like? On holiday, we're nearly there, aren't we, to holidays, sitting in the car with three children, and our car is often too small for me. It's uncomfortable. We feel the effects of other people's sin uh, as people beat each other. They even have a game where they see a yellow car and they club each other. I mean, it's just a disaster. And, um, you know, also, and then there's the don't look out of my window, don't breathe my air. You're like, oh, my gosh. And the seat's uncomfortable and my back hurts. And you sort of think, why are we doing this? And the thing you tell yourself is, are we nearly there yet? Yeah, yeah, we are. In a minute, we'll be able to get out of the car. We don't have to experience each other's pain and suffering or the evil. This will all be over soon when we get there. I've just got to trust that we will get there and keep under the speed limit uh, as we do that. We trust that the end is coming and the holiday is on its way. And so similarly here, we trust as we experience evil and suffering and even our own, we trust that the appointed day is coming and we wait patiently for it because it will be wonderful. It's what it's like, I did a lot of rowing and let me tell you, when you don't know when the end is and you can't see it, because for some reason when you row, you look the wrong way. When you're rowing, you're looking that way and the finish is over there, which means you cannot see where the finish line is. And you're rowing along, you can't see it and it just hurts. Everything burns, every stroke, is absolute agony and you just think I just want to stop this is terrible you're doing a bad job in front uh, and it, but without being able to see the line honestly I remember a cox once in Peterborough he can see where the line is and he's got a little watch in front of him and he goes uh, <laughs> we're about halfway through and he goes it's alright lads only 20 minutes to go and honestly the boat almost just stopped right there we just, we just had it but you know, when, I, when you're doing an ergo and it hurts and it's agony and it's painful, I watch every single second go down and I think one more stroke, one more stroke, one more stroke. That's a thing like that, right? That's how we meet suffering because I'm, I'm just hanging out for the line when we finish and I know it's going to finish as sure as the clock is counting down. That's how we face evil and suffering. So listen, you know, young people here, without Jesus in the picture, there is no end. There is no final justice for evil and suffering. Only bad luck, which we must survive. That's why I don't say bad luck. Don't say that. Say, won't it be great when there's no more of this? Say that instead. It's much harder to be resilient and to survive when you know there's no end to this. It's much easier to get on and just put your foot in front of the foot when you know that actually there is an end that you're travelling towards and it's commanded by a God who loves you. That's what we need to be telling our mates when they're going through the mill and they've got nothing. No wonder they despair and they're crushed. 
But we can also, we confront evil and suffering out there in the world and in here with a knowing confidence. We can confront poverty or systematic injustice. It might seem overwhelming to us, but it will be overwhelmed. And so we can confront it. We can confront suffering in others without feeling we're going to be overwhelmed. We can experience it, and it may feel utterly terrifying, and, and we might fear despair, but we can go into it and accompany people through suffering, looking it in the eyes and saying, your time is coming, and so I can be here with this person. The clock is ticking. The sell-by day is running out on this. Ha! Did another day. Have some of that. And we're one day closer to Jesus, aren't we? But also we're calling for those people who, who don't know this to repentance and faith in the righteousness of Christ. Because without this, the wrath of God remains on you and you are part of the problem with your evil and your suffering that you cause. You need to know Jesus. So we need to confront that evil and suffering as well. But also we can confront our own evil and suffering with knowing confidence. You might be afraid that God knows my evil. He knows the suffering that I've caused. I should be swept away by Jesus' judgment. I don't deserve to be in a perfect new creation. In fact, I know I would spoil it. You will live not by your righteousness, but by Jesus's. You will survive this judgment by Jesus' righteousness and not your own. Jesus' perfect record and not your tarnished one. Trust in Jesus. Be one with him and then you have his righteousness. The same righteousness as the very judge who is perfect. How can you be more perfect than that? What can you add to the perfection you have in Christ? And so what have you got to fear about your evil and the suffering you have caused? with that knowing confidence of Jesus' righteousness. If you've given it to Christ, he's already died on the cross, and he's taken that all with you. Only new life awaits you. Listen, the vision for this for me recently has been Acts and, uh, in Acts uh, chapter 19. Paul and Silas, they experienced the most unbelievable injustice and suffering at the hands of, um, where are they? I can't remember where they are. And they get chossed in prison, they're flogged, it's horrible, there's no lights, they're in the inner cell where there's no windows, they're put in the stocks. And at this point, I'm imagining, what would I be like? I would be on the floor with dribble out my mouth, just weeping into the ground, what is going on? And do you know what they do? They sit up and they have a little praise and worship session in the face of that evil and suffering. I think, wow, there is a couple of guys who know this truth that God has pointed an end and Jesus is coming to sweep it all away. And so they are able to praise the God who will end all evil and suffering and they're able to give him thanks to Jesus for the righteousness that saves them. Isn't that wonderful? Come soon, Lord. Come soon, Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who is living and that you speak. Lord, that you are a God who is loving and that you save. Lord, we cry out to you because there is so much suffering and evil. Some of it, Lord, is ours. And we thank you that you take all of that. And we never need fear having to pay the price for that. But Lord, the rest of the world and the suffering, we cry out to you for those that we know and love who are suffering. Those out there who are crushed, Lord, with the idea that there is no end to suffering. You have no hope. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you give us this 
amazing truth that you are going to end everything and only you are able to end it and just to bring your glory so that everything is wonderful and Lord that we will one day stand before you and you will personally wipe away every tear and say my daughter, my son well done for waiting though that lingered so we pray that you would help us to wait and with a knowing confidence to look evil and suffering in the eye and to tell it that his days are numbered. Amen.